Well, I um, when I heard Joe Biden hurt his foot because of a dog, I was thinking maybe the DEA showed up thinking Hunter was at the Thanksgiving get-together and the dogs just <laughs> ran in sniffing away and maybe tripped over him or something like that. But I guess that's not the case. Uh, live from Studio 6B, Paul Nolan. Happy Thanksgiving week. I hope it was a good one. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good, buddy. I had a really nice time. Good. Uh, Paul's going to have some news. Rick Delgado's here. Mr. Delgado, how was your uh, week? It was very nice. Thank you. Hopefully yours was as well. It was. Rick uh, Rick Emirati's here with sports. How was your Thanksgiving, Rick? It was great. It was a gobble till I wobbled weekend. So uh, fantastic. Okay, very good. Uh, Gio Fran holding it down. I hope they had a good week as well. What even so is we have lots to do. What even is that? The big, I know, God. The big hearing still still going on. In Arizona, still going on in Arizona. It's like an all-day affair. Uh, our own Ben Burkwam has been there all day, and he, th- at the start of the day, was able to catch up with Mayor Giuliani to ask him what we should expect from the day, and here's what the mayor said. We're here with Mayor Giuliani, uh, President Trump's legal team. We're here in Phoenix, Arizona for the hearing. Uh, what, are, what should we expect to hear today, sir? Well, what you should expect to hear is another group of witnesses like the ones in Pennsylvania that put the lie to the Democrat propaganda that there are no, there's no evidence. There's tons of evidence that they stole the election in Arizona, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Nevada, each of those places. Thousands and thousands of Republicans were kept away from seeing any of these mail-in ballots against the law, not not just for fun. It was done because the mail-in ballots are fraudulent. And we'll show that the machine company they were using, Dominion, is a machine company that really, its real expertise is how to change the vote, not how to count the vote. That's been true for 10 years. Why they would hire this company with the horrendous record it has, turned down by Texas, at one point thrown out of Chicago, why, the only reason you'd hire this company is you were negligent, didn't do any due diligence. You just go on the internet. It's been cleaned up a little now. But just go on the internet and you can see its connection into Venezuela. So there are a lot of things that are going to come out today. And what we saw in... Tremendous in, in, inaccuracies in Maricopa County. There's no question, and I think our statistical analysts will point that out. President Trump won Arizona by a f- fairly good margin, and it was stolen from him. Mostly in Maricopa County, somewhat in Pima County both with uh, just out-and-out fraud, keeping the inspectors away, and then some manipulation to the machine, which we don't have the full scope of yet because they won't let us see the machines. All right, so there was the mayor laying the groundwork. Let's bring in now live from Arizona our own Ben Burkwam, who uh, spoke to the mayor and has been there all day. Ben Burkwam, how are you? I'm uh, still awake. I'm still uh, still here. It's It's... You know, it's been uh, a long day, but it has been incredibly insightful. The amount of information and the, and the combination of expert witnesses as well as just eyewitnesses, uh, volunteers that were at the locations, the polling places, uh, it's just incredible. And, you know, the, the, the worst part about it is having the Governor Ducey certified the election today when walking out of those doors in the hearing that's happening behind me, there's about four more witnesses still to go. It is absolutely 100% clear that major fraud occurred and that there, that this, this election should not have been certified. I mean, it, it's, it's insane that what I heard today was, uh, it's, it should make every Arizonan and every American concerned. 
Yeah, well, we'll get, outright let's, off. let's get to a little bit about what you did here, but you, you kind of got to where I was going. Here we have this juxtaposition of what's going on in that courtroom as we're all watching the live stream. And here's Ducey not only certifying the vote, but I don't know if you've seen the video. He supposedly gets a call from the president of the United States in the middle of it, and he, and he clicks his phone to send it to voicemail. And now this is this is just this is on social media put the tweet up g i don't know if ben can see this but i can see it so there's a tweet up that says uh he'll get back to you back in july governor ducey said he changed his white house ringtone to hail to the chief so he wouldn't miss a call from trump or pence well guess who called while ducey was certifying arizona's election and you watch the video seven seconds in you can clearly hear that the phone starts ringing hail to the chief and he just clicks the side button and puts it on the table so you have this juxtaposition of this this stream of all these people claiming what's going on and then here's the governor i don't know what cindy mccain must have on him but uh, he's in a rush to certify and not only does he certify but he sends the president to his voicemail yeah it's that that's the question is what does cindy mccain or others what do others have on him that's the conversation that's being thrown around out here Uh, that also goes back to the speaker of the house here in arizona and the secretary of state uh, who are supposed to represent, you know, Republican values are supposed to represent the Republican voters, and they are MIA. Uh, well, they've they've basically capitulated to this. It would require their uh, bringing it to a new session or a special session of the state legislature, and they have continued to refuse to do that. And I'm just I'm just telling you. I mean, I've been here since eight this morning, and it's been nonstop from that time till now, to from nine o'clock when the hearing started. Case after case after case, example after example, thousands of ballots, you know, witnesses seeing uh, signatures that didn't match, push through. Uh, other witnesses with, with statistical analysis saying the only way that this could have happened, uh, Dr. Shiva said, uh, is if the Democrats voted 130% for Biden and negative 30% for Trump. It's, it's just... Uh, it's insane. It's absolutely insane to, to, I mean, to, it's one thing to say, we know fraud exists, but for them to, to, to not even say that, but to say that it does not exist, like we're, without even doing the investigations into it to be able to justify saying that, that's the concern. It's, there is so much evidence, clear evidence that would justify an audit of the entire election, and yet they're just moving through business as usual as if nothing's happened. And it's, it's insane to me. I mean, that's the only word I can think of. Well, it seems to I be- I think ins- of other words. Yeah, it seems to be insanity <laughs> across all of the swing states, though. You look at what's going on there today. You look at what's going on in Wisconsin, what's going on in Michigan. You have craziness going on in Georgia with these back and forth with the lawsuits of, uh, you know, the, you can't wipe the machines. Yeah, you then, he, then he comes back on it. Then he orders it again. You have Pennsylvania. You have Pennsylvania is just completely out of control. Um, I see people start, starting to come out there. Looks like the mayor right there. Um, Actually, yeah, Mayor Giuliani's uh, yeah. heading out right now. So I know you've had a long day. I won't keep you. But I guess you, you mentioned Dr. Shiva. You heard some of the pro, like the professional, kind of the numbers anonymously. You know, this couldn't have happened. The, the numbers just don't add up. Uh, I want to, We're going to play Matt Brainerd, I believe his name, tonight. I found that the most compelling. What's the most compelling thing that you heard today? 
Well, I would say it's the combination of the expert witnesses, the statistical, uh, the guys that were doing the statistical analysis, coming to similar con conclusions from completely different uh, uh, analysis. So, you know, you had you had one, you had Bobby Pitton uh, saying that the the statistical probability, the analysis he did of the the result that we've got happening is impossible. Uh, you, you've got uh, others like Dr. Shiva saying that, again, it would have to take 130 percent of Democrats voting for Biden and negative 30 percent of Republicans voting for Trump. Uh, and then the colonel who spoke earlier today verifying that they have evidence that uh, Dominion was altered, that votes were altered. It was it's that combination of them coming to the similar conclusions and in fact in some cases similar numbers with uh, you know different statistical analysis that to me is what was incredibly compelling on top of that you've got people that were sitting in these elections offices multiple under uh, you know signing under penalty of perjury affidavits saying that they witnessed firsthand thousands of signatures that did not match being pushed through and being told to push them through. And when you compare that to the the uh, rejection rate of typical election years versus the rejection rate of this year in places like you've seen in Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, it is absolutely 100% clear that uh, I believe President Trump won Arizona. There's no question from what I've seen. But all of that, the, the combination of all of that, it's it's shocking. And it's really concerning because it's so much bigger than just this election. It's the future of this nation. And, you know, de Democrats and a lot of the establishment Republicans have just stuck their head in the sand or, or even worse than that. They're like peacocks strutting around as if this is a good thing for America. When we're watching the destruction of our election process before our very eyes, it's, it's sickening. Honestly, that's, that was the feeling I got when I came out here. It's a long day, but really it's just sickening to think that this has been allowed to happen in America. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Maricopa County, GDF picture two, if you can put that up. I saw this today, the 2020 election cycle, the voting equipment. They went through Arizona and they broke down all the counties. And if you look at Maricopa, which, of course, is where all the action was, it's the only place in, on this chart that I think represents all of Arizona that has Dominion. And it's the only place that uses Democracy Suite as the software type. So it's kind of one of these... Uh, one of these things is not like the others, and it happens to be the county, obviously, that matters the most. Um, so it kind of goes to what you were saying about the talk today about Dominion in Maricopa County. And, and you know, beyond that, so we, we have examples of thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of fraudulent votes in the state of California. But on smaller, you know, th this, the number of people, this is one of the other things that, that came out today. The number of people that voted in Maricopa County that live outside of the state of Arizona, 5,700. I yeah. mean, that just that number alone, on top of everything else, that, that number, you, that's one county in the state, obviously the biggest county, but it's just, it's mind-boggling. Again, to not take that information and say, wait a second, we need to look deeper into this. 
to just move on past it, it's it's mind blowing to me. So, so I want to go back to something you said here. We only got about a minute and a half left. Did you say that the state legislature there cannot call? You know, in Pennsylvania, you have the state legislature now deciding what they want to do. There was something that was dropped tonight, uh, I believe, in the Epic Times that said Pennsylvania lawmakers formally introduced resolution to dispute 2020 elections. Are you saying in Arizona the legislature itself cannot do that without Governor Ducey? Is that what you said before? No, not Governor, not Governor Ducey, the Speaker of the House of Arizona. Uh, and the Secretary of State, so they're, they are the ones that have been blocking this. There hasn't been the political will to do it. And again, there's all kinds of speculation about their friendship with uh, Cindy McCain and, and, and all kinds of other things. But basically, that's what it comes down to is the Speaker of the House for Arizona uh, allowing it to move forward or, or, you know, and getting enough support for it. So, no, Doug Ducey doesn't really play a part, although he could be putting that same political pressure rather than celebrating uh, what many see as fraud, uh, that, you know, he has a part to play in it, but it, it really comes down Speaker of the House and the legislators themselves. Well, as always, Ben, great and reporting. That was the whole point yeah. Good. of this whole day. So is yeah. to, it was to show the evidence to, to push them to that. Well, I know it's been a long day. You've been there all day, and it's been, you've been great. I know you've done all the shows, so I, I appreciate you staying up and sticking with us, and great job. And uh, Ben Berkwam here, live Thanks, from sir. Studio 6B. <laughs> We'll discuss when we get back. We'll let Ben go. <laughs> it's been a long day. B on a Monday. Last day in November. Glad to be back. Glad you're back with us. Paul Nolan's going to have news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amrani's going to have some sports. Geo Fran holding it down. I saw Harry Oates today. Harry made an appearance here in the studio. Didn't want to stay to be on the show, of course. But um, heading back to D.C. tomorrow. So I've got one of the greatest crazy towns ever. And... Um, we're going to show you Matt Brainerd from today's hearing out there in Arizona. And I've got a bunch of stuff to get to. And um, as I was saying to Ben, you know, and I know we keep going on about the same thing. These talking heads, National Review, Andy McCarthy, they're all just, come on, get on, let's get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. The editors at National Review today have a, a piece out that's just, it's, it's unbelievable, it's just I don't know. I don't even know. It, 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 they're so far off the rails at this point. And um, Patrick Basham has a piece over at The Spectator. And it really represents what I think most of us, why we get agitated when we see these people who are giving of their time, these attorneys, um, these people like Matt Brainerd, uh, people who are trying to dig into the numbers, people who see what's clear in front of all of our eyes that this something here is not right. There's too many things that don't add up. And, and if they're not testifying, at least they're doing some valuable reporting and digging into some of these numbers and these anomalies and saying, well, no, this can't be. And at least separating themselves from at least serious people to these, um, to these people who obviously, I, I don't know, they're just positioning themselves over there with the, uh, 
with the Democrat. I know I don't know what they're doing, but they have no interest in jumping into any of these numbers and saying, well, geez, you know, maybe we should have this guy. You, there's not one major news network that has had any of these guys like Kyle Becker or um, some of these guys who have uh, Matt Brainerd, for that matter, uh, Phil Klein from the Amistad Project, who we've had on, who's been on everything on Real America's Voice. You don't see him almost anywhere other than Laura Ingram. She has Phil on. But they have no interest in getting into any of these numbers. So Patrick Basham has a piece today, Basham, reasons why the 2020 presidential election is deeply puzzling. He says, to say out loud that you find the results of the 2020 presidential election odd is to invite derision. You might be a crank or a conspiracy theorist. Well, mark me down as a crank then. I'm a pollster, and I find this election to be deeply puzzling. I also think the Trump campaign is still well within its rights to contest the tabulations. Something very strange happened in America's democracy in the early hours of Wednesday, November 4th, and the days that followed. It's reasonable for a lot of Americans to want to find out exactly what happened. First of all, consider some facts, he says. President Trump, and we've gone over a lot of these with you, but he succinctly puts it all together. President Trump received more votes than any previous incumbent seeking re-election. He got 11 million more votes than he did in 2016, the third largest rise in support ever for an incumbent. By the way, by way of comparison, President Obama was comfortably reelected in 2012 with three and a half million fewer votes than he received in 2008. He got three and a half million less than he did upon his initial election. President Trump got 11 million more and supposedly lost. Trump's vote increased so much because according to exit polls, he performed far better with many key demographic groups. 95% of Republicans voted for him. He did extraordinarily well with rural male working-class whites. He earned the highest share of all minority votes for a Republican since 1960. Trump grew his support among black voters by 50% over 2016. Nationally, Joe Biden's black support fell well below 90%, the level below which Democratic presidential candidates usually lose. Trump increased his share of the national Hispanic vote to 35%, with 60% or less of the national Hispanic vote. It is arithmetically impossible for a Democrat presidential candidate to win Florida, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. Impossible. Bellwether states, Paul has brought this up multiple times. Bellwether states swung further in Trump's direction than in 2016. Florida, Ohio, and Iowa each defied America's media polls with huge wins for Trump. Since 1852, 1852, only Richard Nixon has lost the Electoral College after winning this trio. And that 1960 defeat to John F. Kennedy is still the subject of great suspicion. Midwestern states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin always swing in the same direction as Ohio and Iowa, their regional peers. Ohio likewise swings with Florida. Current tallies show that outside of a few cities, the Rust Belt swung in Trump's direction, yet Biden leads in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin because of an apparent avalanche of black votes in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee.
Biden's winning, quote unquote, margin was derived almost entirely from such votes in these cities as coincidentally his black vote spiked only in exactly the locations necessary to secure victory. He did not receive comparable levels of support among comparable demographic groups in comparable states, which is highly unusual for the presidential victor. We are told that Biden won more votes nationally than any presidential candidate in history, but he won a record low of 17% of the counties. He only won 524 counties, as opposed to the 873 counties Obama won in 2008. Yet Biden somehow outdid Obama in total votes. Victorious presidential candidates, especially challengers, usually have down-ballot coattails. Biden did not. The Republicans held the Senate, enjoyed a red wave in the House, where they gained a large number of seats while winning all 27 toss-ups. Trump's party did not lose a single state legislature and exactly made gains, actually made gains at the state level. Another anomaly is found in the comparison between the polls and the non-polling metrics. The latter include party registration trends, the candidates' respective primary votes, candidate enthusiasm, social media followings, broadcast and digital media ratings, online searches, the number of especially small donors, and the number of individuals betting on each candidate. Despite poor recent performances, media and academic polls have an impressive 80% record predicting the winner during the modern era. But when the polls or non-poll metrics do not, the latter have a 100% record. Every non-polling metric forecast had Trump's re-election. For Trump to lose this election, the mainstream polls needed to be correct, which they were not. Furthermore, for Trump to lose, not only did one or more of those metrics have to be wrong for the first time ever, but every single one of them had to be wrong. And at the very same time, not an impossible outcome, but extremely unlikely, nevertheless. Atypical voting patterns married with misses by polling and non-polling metrics to give observers huge pause for thought. Adding to the mystery is a cascade of information about the bizarre manner in which so many ballots were accumulated and counting. The following uh, peculiarities also lack compelling explanations. One, late on election night with Trump comfortably ahead, many swing states stopped counting ballots. In most cases, observers were removed from the counting facilities. Counting generally continued without the observers. Statistically, abnormal vote counts were the new normal when counting resumed. They were unusually large in size, hundreds of thousands and had an unusually high 90% and above Biden to Trump ratio. Number three, late arriving ballots were counted. In Pennsylvania, 23,000 absentee ballots have impossible postal return dates, and another 86,000 have such extraordinary return dates they raise serious questions. Let's hit the break, and I'm going to finish this when we get back.
right, live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Back from Thanksgiving week. Hope you all had a great time. Hope you had a lot of people at your house. <laughs> as I think most of us did. It was no different for us. A little different. We were careful around the old, older uh, grandparents. Um, 30 minutes past the hour. So I'm reading from Matt Bashar in The Spectator. And uh, just to finish up, uh, all, the, all these anomalies that he went through and put together of things that just don't make sense. Of course, he'll never be asked to give an interview on any of the major cable networks because they have no interest in it. He'll, he could come on Real America's Voice, maybe a couple other places, uh, places on radio, talk radio, but he won't go on any uh, major because they have no interest in any of these. Uh, they, uh, come on, just move along. So uh, we're up to number four, the failure to match signatures on mail-in ballots, the destruction of mail-in ballot envelopes, which must contain signatures. Number five, historically low absentee ballot rejection rates despite the massive expansion of mail-in voting and that alone when you think about it the depth the democrats went through to change the playing field to get the mail-in voting to, to, as uh, marsha blackburn said they were sending them out like publishers clearinghouse to think of all the mistakes that had to be there there was a historically low absentee ballot rejection such as biden's narrow margin that as political analyst Robert Barnes observed, and he's a great attorney too, and he's a great follow on Twitter, if the state simply imposed the same absentee ballot rejection rate as recent cycles, then Trump wins the election. Number six, missing votes in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. 50,000 votes held on 47 USB cards are missing. Number seven, non-resident voters. Matt Brainerd's Voter Integrity Project, speaking of, and I'm going to play you him here in a second. Uh, estimates that 20,312 people who no longer met residency requirements cast ballots in Georgia. Biden's margin in Georgia is 12,670. 20,312 voted in Georgia who don't even live there. Margin is 12,670. You can't get the damn governor of Georgia to even tell us if he's alive. <sighs> Number eight, serious chain of custody breakdowns. We've been telling you this in Michigan. It's a disaster. Invalid residential addresses, record number of dead people voting, ballots in pristine condition with no creases. That is, they had not been mailed in envelopes as required by law. Number nine, statistical anomalies. In Georgia, Biden overtook Trump with 89% of the votes counted. For the next 53 batches of votes, Biden led Trump by the same exact 50.05 to 49.95% margin in every single batch. It is particularly perplexing that all statistical anomalies and tabulation abnormalities were in Biden's favor. Whether the cause was simple human error or nefarious activity or a combination, clearly something is off about that. If you think that only weirdos have legitimate concerns about this election and these findings and claims, maybe the weirdo is you. So that's just a fantastic piece um, by Patrick Basham. Awesome. And a great use of the word weirdo. I haven't heard that word in a while. That's, That's awesome. in The Spectator, and we'll link to that on our social medias if you want to read it for yourself. But again, at least somebody who's serious about digging in, saying something's not right, unlike the governor of Arizona, who clearly doesn't care, the governor of Florida, the governor of, uh, excuse me, God, please, the governor of Florida is fantastic, the governor of Pennsylvania, the governor of Georgia, and as good as uh, uh, Colonel Mastriano is in Pennsylvania, and we heard him, there seems to be 
there seems to be some knee, um, some weak knees in the state legislature on the Republican side, possibly I'm hearing in Pennsylvania, that there may not be the uh, will or the guts because they're afraid that they may lose the House and the Senate if they, um, do, if they do what's right here. If that is they're convinced that something's not right about the election. And I would just say to anyone in Pennsylvania running for state Senate or Congress, I, I'd be more worried about 83 million people who voted for Trump that are going to remember that you were a bunch of cowards when it counted and vote your ass out of office. I think there's a much better chance of that happening if you do nothing than uh, if you're worried about what's going to happen if you end up standing up for the republic. Not unless they made a deal to get those Dominion machines to work in their favor by playing ball. And once this once this happens now, it's what you know. What kind of confidence will there be in the system ever again? It has to get fixed. Yeah, yeah but the issue, fit. but the issue there is that would be the governor's decision, not the state legislature's decision. The state legislature, as in Georgia, where the governor is making uh, consent decrees with Stacey Abrams and the Democratic Party, doesn't even know what the hell's going on, and they're certainly not setting election law like they're supposed to be doing. So Pennsylvania, you know, you sounded good last week, and uh, Colonel Mastriano is an American patriot. He's fantastic, but it seems like not, he doesn't have a bunch of people falling in line right now in Pennsylvania, although we'll see. What were you going to say, Rick? Well, I was going to say, because they all make deals with the devil, you know? And again, if you don't fix it now... And we were talking about this last week. You will never win another presidential election. It just won't happen. They will make sure of it. They'll give you some. Here, you can have some House seats, but it's still going to be democratically controlled. It's all going to end up looking like California and New York around the country. That's what is at stake. If you want that for the rest of the existence of this country, that's what we're looking at. Unfortunately, it has to be stopped now because there is no 2024. We'll go, well, we'll get turnout next time and we'll get them. Ain't going to happen. You're watching them steal it right in front of your face. And the guys that are supposed to be on your side are going, what? Um, uh, I don't see anything. Woo, look at the time. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Hey, what's up? Uh, football on yet? That's what they're doing. They don't care. They've made their deals. And like Paul said, yeah, they probably made a deal. Hey, I'll get the next couple elections before they vote me out. All right, good. Then I'll get my, uh, I'll get my pension. I'll make my deals. I'll make my money. And then I'm out the door. They don't care. Yeah, man. All right, let's do, uh, do you want to do some news here, Paul? Yeah, there's uh, plenty on just the news here. So, I mean, there's so many things to look at, but it's all the same stuff. Let's start with a funny one. CNN reporter calls Twitter uh, to label Trump's account as election disinformation. <laughs> I mean, this is Shocking. not the Babylon Bee. Wow. Uh, for some journalists, you would you just can't censor the president enough. Oliver Darcy, who covers the media for the liberal-leaning network CNN, says Twitter should flat-out declare all of the information that Trump shares on his Twitter feed as misleading and he's quoted as saying nearly every tweet from the president at this point should be labeled as misinfo uh, which had me thinking why doesn't twitter just take a step of labeling his entire account uh, as known for election disinfo and why not stop there why stop there uh, when we could label the account that repeatedly spreads false claims and and force the platform to, to fact check so you know 
Yeah. Just completely unhinged. And as Jonathan Turley writes today, uh, CNN media reporter Oliver Darcy is a vocal advocate of censorship and speech controls. Um, and he has been for a long time. So this is really nothing different. And, they, and by the way, he sees no problem with that. If it, and he would see no problem with Twitter doing that. And he has no problem with, um, with bringing it up. And neither, does, neither do most people at CNN. Yeah, Jake Chappet, Jake, uh, Jake Tapper uh, chimed in. It's hard to find much that's remotely true on the president's Twitter feed these days. It's a full, already debunked claims and, and crackpot conspiracy theories about Dominion, uh, Dominion voting systems. I mean, it's as if Jake Tapper would know. Yeah, <laughs> Jake Tapper hasn't spent one second looking at anything about this election. Other than the office of the president-elect, what, what, what kind of color they picked for the background. That's all he's interested in. Just think about the label conspiracy theory and now debunked. It's, it's done so much to destroy all forms of critical thinking. Just when you're, when you're thinking critically and you're trying to put things together and you're trying to connect the dots, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just you're looking at the evidence that's there. You know, let's, let's, if, if journalists did their work, we wouldn't have to be doing it on our own here <laughs> you mean doing it for them yeah it's unbelievable yeah. Well, and, they have, and, and, yeah. and you know what's a great point about that paul is that when these guys start talking like that that means you're over the target yeah man you're on to something and they don't like it you're too close stop looking stop pointing it out people will notice we don't need them to notice so they'll call you names and hope that 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 will you know uh label you a kook well uh, it could be that or it could just be that they like to deplatform opposing views yeah, absolutely. They they can instantly discredit any kind of good journalism instantly with the term conspiracy theory. It's it's so overused. I mean, every but first thing, what's the definition of a conspiracy, right? Anytime two or more people are trying to advance power or, or uh, financial gain, <laughs> come on, how could that be used so readily? When every time you know we see such anomalies, including a president losing votes on a screen. <laughs> Is that not worth discussing? Or the rate at which the votes would be in count, like, what, 2,000 uh, at a point, and then they went up by 10,000 a minute. Some crazy number. They, like five times, you know, you know, the vote count went through the roof in the times from 3.30 in the morning till 6.30 in the morning. The rate at which they were counted was off the chart. Like, that, that's worth looking at. And here's the thing with Al Oliver Darcy and people like him who are just are quick to just say, shut him down. It, it, there's no, there's no, where does it stop? It doesn't stop with them. It doesn't stop until it's, you know, until you're China. Yeah, until North Korea. Right, until it's until his view and that's it. This yeah. is five. When this is five. It's complete. <laughs> you'll, you'll explain that to me in the commercial break. Um, but that's the thing. The shut, shut them down and, until. You gotta um, read a book, bro. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't care. And neither does the network he works at, by the way. And most people who work on that network are all in for that as well. They may not come out and say it, but like he does, but they're all in for it. They don't agree. Shut them down, deplatform them, censor them, stick little labels on them that they're false. And eventually it just gets to just, you know, take them down altogether so that the, they have group think, group worldview of all these things. And that's what they want. It's like their newsrooms. The newsrooms at all these places are no different. That's why it's, it's, it's so funny that they're all head over heels about Biden's supposed press picks of all women. Of course, Trump did that, too. They <laughs> seem to forgot that. But, oh, look at this. He's got women of color. He's got women of this. He's got diversity. There. 
Meanwhile, if you go you go through the CNN newsroom, you don't have much of they they don't have any of that in their newsrooms. Most of these places. Oh, look at Joe! What a great job he's doing here. Sonny Hostin. Oh, she's very excited about it. We we got Sonny here. Play that Sonny Hostin. G, do you have that in there? Sonny, Sonny, Sonny Hostin's thoughts? I, I think that um, it points to a return, quite yeah. frankly, to um, a, a move to a more traditional relationship with the press. Sure. I mean, Trump was very effective in um, damaging the reputation of reporters and constantly attacking reporters because he wanted his uh, word to be final. He wanted his supporters to believe only what he said and not what they saw in the news. And, and you know, he really eroded the First Amendment. So I, I'm actually uh, quite pleased that now stop it for a second. Uh, now just think of the five-minute conversation we just had on Olive for Darcy, and she just she just basically said exactly what he's doing. Well, he only wants them to hear his view. Well, that's exactly what he wants. It's what we're just discussing. Oh, he really eroded the First Amendment. Go ahead. Women, but these women in particular, because they have strong relationships with the press. I mean, remember how Trump used to attack reporters like Abby Phillips, reporters like uh, Yamish uh, Alcindor, April Ryan, Katie Collins. It was a constant attack of women, female reporters predominantly. I mean, he, he did have that back and forth with Jim Acosta. But I, I think that this is um, a, a point in the right direction because sure. we know that now we'll have um, a more traditional relationship with the press. Exactly. <laughs> well done, G. Oh, God. You're drooling already. I live from Studio 6B. Social media break coming up. Crazy Town coming up. More news with Paul. Sports with Rick. Lots to still do on a Monday night. from Studio 6B, 13 till the hour on a Monday night. Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Glad you're in. Hope you had a great week. It's good to be back. Lots to do. Paul Nolan's here with the news. Rick Delgado's here. Geofran holding it down. And uh, it's time for sports. And here with that is the man in blue tonight, Rick Emirati. Mr. Emirati, how are you? Hey, Big D. A couple of live in-action scores right now. Uh, we'll go to the link in Philadelphia. It's Seattle 0, Philadelphia 0. Seattle's driving inside the 40-yard line with about three minutes to go. Seattle quarterback Russell Wilson, 6 of 8 for 44 yards. Good game there. We'll keep an eye on that. It's 0-0? Uh, zero, 0-0. Zero? Zero, zero. Okay. On Burner. Yep, Bart Burner. And uh, we got uh, also North uh, little NCAA uh, basketball right now, number 14, North Carolina, taking it up on UNLV, 72 to 39, with about five to go in the second half. Uh, number 14, North Carolina, really looking good tonight. College uh, basketball, I don't know. College basketball doesn't, that just doesn't work without the fans, man, not the student no. section. It's just, it's tough to watch. It's tough to watch like it is. Yep. Can you imagine what these kids, you get your kids to a college, he's playing ball, and you're so proud and happy for him, and the experience sucks. Yeah. <laughs> all because of the quackster, yeah. who's hey. just all over the damn place. Yeah, he flip-flops more than John Kerry. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. He keeps moving that Pittsburgh game further and further this week. Now it's Wednesday night, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. They just moved it earlier. Um, but we got a little rodeo news, Big D. One rodeo in action uh, on Friday, Oxford, Mississippi. We had the 
Egg Extreme Bull Riding event uh, with a $10,000 payout. Creek Young riding on Wicked Paradise scored an 88 for a $4,000 payout. And uh, runner-up was Josh Frost on Doc Holiday uh, with an 87, paid out $3,000. And there's a big rodeo coming up the end of, on Thursday. Uh, the 2020 Wrangler National Finals Rodeo with a $3.5 million payout in Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Field. That's where the Dodgers just won the World Series. And Saturday night, we're going to talk a little bit about the Tyson-Jones fight in Staples Center, Los Angeles. I paid 50 bucks for it. You saw it, Big Day. I paid 50 bucks for it and had a bunch of people in my house. And you probably enjoy <laughs> the undercard better than the main fight. But it, was a, it wasn't a bad fight. It was relatively competitive. I mean, after all the hype, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones mostly lived up to it. Um, that's my feeling. The pair of legends squared off inside Staples Center on Saturday night in an exhibition match between two men in their 50s. And for the most part, neither man looked too far gone. Tyson and Jones fought to an unofficial draw declared by the WBC by its three celebrity judges. The, two eight, the eight two-minute rounds provided enough time for both men to get comfortable and find range, enough times to make the action exciting while also not providing any true risk of serious injury to either. Um, overall, I thought it was a good fight. Uh, on the undercard, Jake Paul, uh, who's a big YouTube personality with over 20 million followers, he finished his fight against former NBA player Nate Robinson on Saturday with an emphatic right hand that knocked the X slam dunk champion out cold. That was a YouTube sensation in itself. Big D, you caught that? Uh, <laughs> and then he challenged McGregor. Let me just, let me just tell you that the um, it was the best fifty dollars I think I've spent in a long time. <laughs> I'm just going to tell, tell you right now, it was the best fifty dollars I think I've spent in a long time. Jake Paul hit um, little Nate Robinson so hard that they Robinson his mother out just <laughs> barely woke up. <laughs> It was he, an overhand. You right mean he ages. just woke up? He, like he, today? I don't, he'll, he, I mean, he called out. Uh, he called out McGregor or, his, or McGregor's yeah. trainer. <laughs> yeah, he called out. He called out D- Dylan Dennis and Conor yeah. McGregor afterwards. So good for him. But he knocked out Nate Robinson so bad. And of course, that wasn't even the best part of the knockout. The best part was Snoop Dogg's call <laughs> of the fight. Yeah. Snoop Dogg is the winner of the night. He should be hired. That after Michael Buffer does his, uh, you know, he gets like a million bucks every time he says, let's get ready to rumble or whatever it is. Snoop, yeah. Snoop should be on every boxing call because, I mean, from the knockout call, which was spectacular, to the um, to the Tyson uh, when they were fighting, that it was like watching two grandpas at the old barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> he had some, he had, Snoop had some lines that were just roll off the couch funny. He is so funny. I love his Corona commercials, too. They're great. But, uh, yeah, so Snoop, Snoop is going to be the next Howard Cosell, huh, Big D? So, uh, and just uh, well, some... Let me just finish by saying this to the people who put the event together at Triller, who, by the way, Vin Buda, who used to sit here next to me and do this show, is very involved with Triller. So, Vin, if you're watching, you did a good job on the production. But let me just say this to you. The music selections were the worst <laughs> music performances I have ever heard in my life. Yep. Oh my God, were they awful. Awful. Maybe, awful. Maybe Vin needs to hire Fran for the music selections. He'd probably do a hell of a better job. Well, he wouldn't perform. I mean, they, they, <laughs> uh, the rappers that they had, I don't I mean, they were just awful. Yeah. Ugh. But overall, it was a real success for Tyson, and they, they sounds like they're going to see more of these legend fights that uh, Tyson's going to put together. And some people are already talking about Holyfield, uh, Tyson, uh, four. I mean, I know they only did two-minute rounds, but let me just say this. Mike Tyson still hits like a truck. Yeah. 
I mean, that guy was running around the ring to get away from him. He was running at points. Yeah. And well, he was winded after the second round. Tyson looked like he could have gone 12. Yeah, well, it looked what? like he trained his butt off for it. And, and Roy Jones looked like he was there for the paycheck. And I loved Roy Jones was great in his heyday. Yeah, the fighter of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He was so good in his heyday. He was and, just... and from what I understand, it was almost a, a um, an agreement to, uh, yeah. for Tyson, don't hit me in the face. Yeah. yeah it's it's like because keep... people were commenting on how much body work he was doing. He took it up to the body mostly. Uh, and just a couple of uh, college football scores. Big D. Number one, Alabama, 42 to 13, easily over Auburn with outside head coach Nick Saban. Number two, Notre Dame, 9 and 0 now, 31 to 17 over North Carolina. Number three, Clemson, 52 to 17 over Pitt. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, 403 yards, two touchdowns. He's still unbelievable. And the Texas Aggies, uh, number five now, knocks off LFSU, 20 to 7. Florida Gators, 34 to 10 over Kentucky. Georgia Dogs, number nine, handles South Carolina, 4 45-16. And did anybody catch Buffalo's Jarrett Patterson? He tied an NCAA record for touchdowns with eight TDs in the game, and he had 409 yards rushing, which is second all-time. Unbelievable. Uh, number four, Ohio State. Number seven, Cincinnati. Both their games were COVID cancellations. And last big D, on Saturday, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt's Sarah Fuller became the first woman to participate in a Power 5 conference football game when she kicked off for Vanderbilt to start the second half at yeah. Missouri. Fuller kicked with a holder rather than using a team and a designed script kick, and the senior sent a low kick to the 35-yard line where it was pounced on by Missouri. But anyway, Vanderbilt's 41, 41 to nothing loss uh, to Missouri. Didn't help, but kudos to the women playing football. Love it. Thanks, Big D. That's a wrap. Hillary Clinton tweets out, oh, congratulations to this girl for showing that they, they can do, uh, you know, she put out, put out some tweet, and I'm thinking to myself, well, no, she actually proved it's just the opposite, that she shouldn't be out there. She should not be out there. It's it just, it's so, it's such a, it was such a, just a um, typical uh, left-wing ploy with this girl. And she, I'm sure she's nice, but come on, stop, stop it. My seven, uh, seventh grader could have kicked it as far as she kicked it. I mean, seriously. I mean, it was, it's obscene. I just, that, I'm that just so glad on. she didn't have to make a tackle because she could have been killed. Oh yeah. I mean, it, come on. I mean, it's just, just so typical, like... Uh, Did you ever see the study of, like, uh, girls, um, transgender females in ugh. in uh, track versus the, the, you know, like yeah. the people who can have a baby or menstruate? I don't know how do you describe them without politically incorrect wow. them. But, they, like, they said that the top female uh, NCAA runners can't come within, like... Like ten percent of the of the worst of the men coming in, like it, it completely destroyed their entire careers in college. Like there was a whole thing on it. A PragerU was incredible. Like to see how 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 bad these poor girls were being ruined by allowing women. I mean, well, men who were women. I, I don't even. You know what I mean? Like yeah. guys who are now girls. It's just not fair. Like it's crazy that that nobody's stopping this. Well, I think in Massachusetts there was a big thing because they they allowed yeah. some high school boys to compete as girls. Yeah, and these girls were losing scholarships. That's what I'm talking about. That was the story. I got. I'm going to dig it up at the break. I mean, it just it just Horrible. it just comes off as such a political stunt. It really does. It was I all mean, over it, the news. Just ugh.
All right, live from Studio 6, on a Monday night, Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Glad you're in. Lots to do in hour two. Paul Nolan's going to do some news. Rick Amorati's here with sports. Rick Delgado's here. We've got some, uh, got some good things to get to, but let's get to crazy town. <laughs> so, um, you know, on. I grew up. Come on, Biden. I grew up in the Catholic Church. Come on. Spent a lot of time in church. <laughs> um, sang in groups that went singing all over the world in the, the great cathedrals all over Europe, everywhere. Done masses all over the place. Some call Damon the songbird of our generation. Yes, some have said that. And um, so that, that's the background. And of all of those years, singing everywhere, throughout Europe, growing up in the Catholic Church, going to church now, I have never, ever, ever heard about this. Roll it, G. And if we do, and I'm sure we can, we can proclaim the palmist, <laughs> the palmist who wrote these following words. The Lord is my strength and my shield. <laughs> oh, help and help us. <laughs> the palmist. <laughs> the palmist. Promised. Where we can go with this. Okay. Today we are going to read. Did any of the mainstream uh, outlets pick that up? Did CNN show that at all? Did, was there any uh, any reporting of that? So we have the first reading, and then after the first reading, we're going to have the uh, we're going to read here. The choir is going to sing from Palmist Forty Six. <laughs> The, does the palmist also do tarot cards? <laughs> oh my god! Just a question. Trying to find out if I should get that. Now, uh, you're telling get those me, lotto tickets. You're telling me that Joe Biden, the devout, as he consoles himself, <laughs> the devout devoutist. Catholic, doesn't know that that's pronounced a psalm. Wow. <laughs> Play that one more. The palmist said. <laughs> <laughs> the palmist. Tool bag. P A L M. Palmist. Roll that one more time, G. And if we do, and I'm sure we can, we can proclaim the palmist with the palmist who wrote these following words. The Lord is my strength and my shield. <laughs> Maybe that would be Palmist 41. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Oh, so there you God. go. Palmist. Everybody get that straight. When you go to church this next, when ye you're there yesterday, I wonder what, did they do any Palmists? My man, he, mass. My, my man, he's the the P is silent. You you donut. <laughs> Call him the donut. Call him the donut. Oh, All right, let's get like you. That's funny. <laughs> oh god. You oh, donut. Like uh, like like Rick said, the, the tarot card reader on them. So. Oh, you know, tell All right, me, let's tell uh, let's get to Matt Brainerd. So this is from the hearing today. I showed you a lot of the hearing Friday, so I didn't want to, you know show you the same thing over today but this was this is one thing that was, matt brainer did not testify in pennsylvania 
and he testified today. And um, I mean, some of this is just like it's head shaking. So let's let's watch a little of this. Roll that, G. Okay. Matt Brainerd setting up his, uh, I guess he was setting up his computer here. Without further ado. <clears throat> now he's got this thing called the uh, Election Integrity Project. Yeah. So he's oh, been yeah. all over <clears throat> the country looking at these anomalies on numbers. And um, did we go back here, G? Because this wasn't where we had it did, set. Did, did Biden end up... This is exactly where we left it. Did Biden have what, Paul? Didn't he say the Lord is my strength and my sheep? Yes. Didn't he finish it by saying the Lord is my sheep? My shield, he but said. He, yeah. sheep he, he didn't shield? say sheep? Yeah. Oh, he, he did. said okay. shield. All right, well, G, let's shield? just... Let's just... We got to get back to this. If you can just, if you can just get to my where he's talking. for logistics being a bit of an issue here. Okay, so he's having issues with his computer. So just if you can jump forward, G, a little bit from it to where he's talking. All right, so we're trying to queue up Matt Brainerd. I thought we had it in the right spot, but uh, he, was, he did take a long time to set his computer up. But uh, he's one of the things. When you, when you looked at social media today, all you really heard was about his testimony. And one of the legislators, after he was done, basically said, you know, you go into these things. All right, let's roll it. I and a team of uh, dedicated individuals with experience similar to my own in the field of voter data and analysis uh, decided to um, engage in uh, an experiment of sorts to detect potentially illegal ballots without any preconceived notions about what we m might find or what we want to find, just to try to determine the truth using a couple of different analytical methods. Fortunately, despite the great expense of this experiment, we were able to fundraise through crowdsourcing in a very short order. We've raised over $600,000 from almost 9,000 different donors all over the country who are interested in finding the truth. And we entered this with no, although many of us have political biases, personally, we brought none of those biases to our analysis. We just decided we wanted to try to find the truth using methods we believe to be reliable. Our findings were across the country. We found a tremendous number of anomalies. And Arizona uh, is at the forefront of many of the anomalies we found. Now. Unlike many other states that uh, we evaluated, there were some unique limitations to our analysis in, in Arizona. Um, in general, we were only able to get data for early and absentee voters in all of the six states we, we targeted. In Arizona, we were only able to get early and absentee voters for the county of Maricopa. So all the numbers I'm sharing with you, all the analysis is based solely on Maricopa. Now, as the other counties make their data available, um, we'll certainly try to update these reports and these, these numbers. But just looking at Maricopa, uh, we found uh, some interesting results. So I'm going to open up a PowerPoint that kind of covers the country, but I'm really just going to speak about uh, Arizona, which is, I know what, uh, what you're interested in. So. 
Matt Brainerd from today's hearing in Arizona. Okay. So we ran uh, five or six different ex experiments on each of these states. One experiment that we ran where we isolated a universe of voters, according to the state, who had been sent an absentee ballot but did not return that ballot. And we asked them two questions. One, we asked them, you know, by reaching out to them via phone, because we were operating three different call centers to try to reach these people to confirm whether or not they had ever requested that absentee ballot and whether or not they returned it. So uh, in Arizona, we were able to reach 2,044 people who had been identified as having requested an absentee ballot and not returned it, according to the state. Um, of those, 44% of them said they never requested that ballot. 44%. Then, among the individuals who did say they did request it, we asked, well, did you send it back? And among those, of the overall universe, we had 300, 354 of them say, yeah, I actually mailed it back, despite the state not recording having received it back. Now, I've got a little bit of an audio-visual for you because our call centers were recording phone calls. Now, none of this is speculative. I know that some people, have, uh, other ana uh, analysts in some of the court cases I've been involved in, have taken our numbers and then projected them. Say, for example, projecting that 44% of the uh, did not request uh, of our sample out to the entire universe of about a half a million on return and saying these are the number of ballots that it seems or appears possible that somebody else requested those ballots other than the voter of record. Um, and, but I, I'm, I'm not doing that myself. Others are, are welcome to make that analysis. I don't have a background as a statistician, a statistician. But what I do have is I'd like to share with you some of the audio recordings of uh, at least two of the individuals we spoke to who said that they did not get a ballot. They did not request the ballot despite being sent them. Now, these, these uh, audio recordings have been modified um, to uh, cut out like their last names because we don't want to inadvertently dox anybody here. Um, but if, if somebody privately, uh, as you are in positions of authority in the legislature, wants photo recordings, we'd be more than happy to, to, to share that with you. More than happy to give you the names, addresses, phone numbers of everybody we've identified in these categories. Okay? Uh, so I'm going to play the uh, one audio recording of an individual. Bear with me as I uh, make some uh, adjustments. So I thought this was this part, what he's going to do here, was a brilliant idea because you don't have to guess. You don't have to guess of what people said or what they heard. We recognize that technology is great until you actually need to have it work. Yeah, but we can find a, a workaround if we need to. So I'm just going to hold the mic to the computer speaker. Can't hear it. Can we get it out of this? Okay, we'll try it again. Okay. Hello, this is Mary Kemper with Voter Integrity Fund. May I please speak to Charles? This is who are you with? Uh, Voter Integrity Fund. Uh, Charles Martz in the state of Arizona and is Mart is having requested an absentee ballot. Did you request an absentee ballot? Absolutely did not. No. Okay, and did you? Okay, no. Okay, somebody from our team will follow up with you and can you please uh, give us the best phone number? Is it this? So I'll play for you the second example. Hello? Hello? 
Hi. Hi, um, is this Zofa? Yes. Hi, uh, my name is Taj. I'm with the Voter Integrity Fund. Um, in the state of Eric, I mean Arizona, it said that you requested the absentee ballot. I'm just making sure that you requested that ballot. No, I did not request an absentee ballot. Okay, somebody from our team will follow up with you. Is this a good number to follow back up with you yes. on? Yes. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, and you have a good day. Okay. Excuse me, Matt. Before you go too much further, can you tell me what counties were those calls made to? The, the only county that's Maricopa? released data for us is Maricopa. All right. So. Thank you. Sure. Um, I'm going to proceed. Uh, so we, uh, with uh, some of the other experiments we ran, one of them was, uh, again, no one's ever kind of right, Jay, we tried hit to the do break. this so after he, an election So what he does before. now is he plays Nobody's a, a call to a third or, person and says, did you request an absentee ballot? And he says, well, no, I can't vote because I'm a felon. <laughs> <laughs> claim the palmist with the palmist who wrote these following words true and international average of pressure <laughs> uh, live from studio 6b 17 <laughs> hour can't get enough of the palmist uh all right we were we were listening to matt brainerd's testimony <laughs> like <Zoltar>. today <laughs> And uh, we'll go back out there to Arizona, and this is Matt Brainerd from today. Roll that, G. And counted. The only problem is he'd already voted in Tennessee. He didn't vote in Arizona. Nashon Garrett joins me now. Nashon, uh, great to see you. Now, you never received an Arizona absentee ballot or an application for mail-in ballots. So who the heck cast your ballot in Arizona? That is an excellent question. That is an excellent question. I have no idea, and that's the reason why I'm on here with you tonight. So I'm going to stop the video there. Um, But I think you get the drift of that. I'm actually going to play for you another recording here, which actually this one was particularly interesting to me. Um, Hi, my name is Thomas with the Voter Integrity Fund. May I please speak with Riley? Yep, speaking to him. All right, hi. Uh, can you confirm whether or not you cast a ballot in the state of Arizona? I'm a felon, so I can't vote. All right. Uh, let me see here. According to the state of Arizona, somebody cast a ballot in your name, and you may be a victim of voter fraud. Uh, can you find oh, no. the best number to reach you? I mean, probably the one you're calling me at. So I cut the video because, you know, whenever we reach somebody like this, we want to ask them a couple questions. Is the best number to reach you at? Would you be willing to sign a declaration or something like that so we could pass that off to attorneys? Um, so uh, I think those are, are two. Uh, and we've got hundreds of them um, of different categories. So we'll, as, as you've heard, um, we have recordings of everyone we spoke to, of the uh, 900 or so that didn't request, of the 354 that said they uh, did request but mailed it back and somehow state never got their vote. Um, I want to talk about one of the other experiments we ran. 
we, at great expense, obtained a national voter file. And we used it to uh, determine people who may have been registered here, moved to another state, registered to vote there, I believe invalidating their residency or inability to vote here, and then cast a ballot back here. Because, uh, you know, I, we all have anecdotes, right? We've all heard crazy stories. I've had people, since this project has started, emailing me um, stories about uh, suspicion, the, the, the sister-in-law or brother-in-law they don't like, they suspect they may have cast two ballots, and they want me to look into it, and giving me their full addresses and dates of birth. Or I've also received, though, uh, screenshots of social media profiles saying, this person, they live in New York City. They've lived here a long time. But they figure their vote wouldn't really matter in New York City, but it would matter back in Arizona. So there's anecdotes, right? I don't think uh, I don't think it's ever possible to maybe uh, get enough of those anecdotes to have a meaningful number. But what we did is we took our national voter file and looked at registration dates there, and then we looked at the registration dates of people we matched it to in Arizona, where they moved from Arizona to California, for example, registered to vote there, and then decided they shopped their ballot potentially, or they had the ballot cast in their name, and decided, you know what, my vote might count more in Arizona than it does in California, swing state. Um, so we were able to identify these individuals uh, who had a subsequent registration out of state but cast their early absentee here. Again, just Maricopa County and just early absentee, no election day. We also uh, did an NCOA analysis. And when people move from one state to another, the Postal Service sort of tracks that. Often people fill out an NCOA card saying, I've moved here, please forward my mail. It's a pretty good indicator. They've established residency somewhere else. And we found among this population a, a substantial number who NCOA to another state but cast their ballot here. Now, I am... Um, I've kind of uh, earned the reputation lately as kind of a, a data guy, but I, I work as a general consultant. I do all kinds of work around the country for candidates, um, everything from speeches to fundraising to designing literature. I've knocked on over a thousand doors um, myself. Uh, this country, th this this cycle in states all over the country, and uh, I can tell you that a lot of times you you, you know people are uh, they move and they're they're very careful about where they can vote, where they can make potential. Uh, potentially cast their vote where they think if they have options, they make a choice, and sometimes they don't always make the right choice. So just in my experience of that, you know, we it's not that uncommon. So people move, but they can still vote here. They get an absentee request forwarded to them, and they cast the ballot. They shouldn't. When we combine those numbers together for your state and we merge, um, and we take out some that we, we estimate to have been military moves, which doesn't, they don't actually lose their ability to vote in the state. We came up with a total of about 5,700 or so, and just Maricopa, just early absentees. We also identified a population of double voters. Now, what's unique about this is that, again, we're not, we're not looking at people who maybe voted in person in California and voted by mail here. We're only able, because of limited data in many states, um, to compare early absentee voters to early absentee voters in other states. So if they voted early absentee in Arizona and voted early absentee, for example, in California, um, they'd show up here. But if, we, if and when we get access to election day um, voter lists, we'll be able to, uh, these numbers will inevitably go up. And also, we've, we've got a lot of limitations on our ability to match. Um, one of those limitations is the availability of full and accurate dates of birth from states on their voter lists. In a lot of cases, states will suppress that. And that 
that prevents us from being able to get a successful match on somebody who moved out of state with a subsequent registration. Uh, because for us, for, for our project, you, we can't be the voter integrity project without integrity, and that requires a very tight match. So we're sure it's not just somebody with the same name or even somebody with the same name born in the same year, but it's got to be day, month, year, exact, as best we can. And we actually try to match on cell phones, too, when we're able to do that. Um, so that's that kind of concludes the initial findings that I wanted to share with you about uh, about your state in particular. Um, and I'd be happy to take any questions if you have them. Mr. Mayor, do you want to ask this gentleman some questions? You go ahead. No? All right. Um, Matt, I, I really appreciate you coming in. I know that you've, uh, you flew in, I think, late last night um, to make a short and succinct presentation. Um, can you tell me, of, w relative to the work that you've done, with certainty, how many votes were cast that should not have been? Just a high-level number, because obviously, um, for example, the Trump campaign would like to see 10,457 votes overturned. But, not to be exact, but... <laughs> Are we there based on the work that you've done? Because as we look at your work and the work of other people, um, we're starting to chip away at that number in a pretty serious way. I would say there's uh, two levels of confidence I have, okay? The okay. first level of confidence is very. And I'm very confident that we get very close to that number when we uh, take the uh, residency issues and then apply it to the other counties for which we weren't able to obtain data. Good the point. second level of confidence is where you take a number of projection. We go back out to low activity analysis um, and NCO analysis, which I'm not going to get in the weeds, but these are basically people telling us that they had votes, um, that they didn't cast votes, they were cast their name. If you're comfortable projecting these numbers um, to the population that we were trying to reach via phone that we just couldn't, I think then you reach another level of certainty that you're able to bridge that gap. Um, so I, I think that the, I'm, I have a high degree of confidence that the number of ballots that were cast that should not have been cast, illegal ballots, surpasses the margin of victory as it stands right now. Thank you very much. Um, Representative Miyasuchi, you're the first to ask questions. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, second, I guess. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matt, very much for uh, yeah, the presentation. That's fine, Jay. We don't need to listen points. to the questions. So you get the idea of Matt Brainer's testimony. And again, you're talking about a state right there. This is why it's stunning that people have just blowing this off. This guy's making the case that there's at least 5,800 people who voted in the state who don't live there. The damn margin of the state's 10,800. That's not worth that. Come on. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, it doesn't matter about Arizona, Damien, because if he doesn't get Pennsylvania and Georgia and all the other ones, then it doesn't matter. Well, if that's the bar that you personally have, then... the hour i was just saying in the break think about matt brainer testifying getting questioned from the state legislature 
the first gentleman there who went saying, "What well, do you have confidence that we have more votes than the, than the outcome, which is, uh, I guess, 10,800, because that's the number in question. And he builds the case on why he feels on two levels very confident that you have more votes than, than the margin right now. And while he's doing this, here's the stupid governor in the other room um yeah let's play that we have we have Ducey certifying g roll that you have the governor doing this in the other room the votes have been tabulated all 15 counties have certified their results in addition to certification with senator-elect mark kelly winning the general election i will be signing official documentation today that will be hand delivered to the Secretary of the United States Senate so that Arizona's newest senator can be sworn into office as swiftly as possible. Also, he's in a hurry to get Mark Kelly, the Democrat, in. Yeah. This is the Republican governor of Arizona. He looks like a weasel. And I feel like they think that, well, if we can get him in office, then it's too late. They can't do anything. But there is precedent. They have removed, uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania, I remember hearing a, a couple days ago, where a judge overturned an election and they removed the, uh, the Democrat who won and put in the Republican who was supposed to win. So there is precedent for, hey, just because, just because you got, you're sitting there in the office, don't get too comfortable. It, it I, might come back. But I mean, here's the governor. Meanwhile... Next door, they're making the case that the difference in the whole state right now is clearly up for debate. And he just doesn't care. Just go ahead. It's going to certify. Right. 10,800, who cares? Well, isn't that part of it, too, is that they have to certify to be able to bring this to court? That it has to be a certified, uh, certified result, and then, they can, take it, then, then it, they can take it to the Supreme Court? I don't know. I mean, they've been fighting for it to be not to certified, so I can't see how that can be the case. But, you but that's to that because tweet? they wanted the legislatures to make, make that argument. I'm sorry? It's because they didn't want them to certify because they wanted the legislatures to, you know, not certify. Well, the, late, the, the state legislatures always have plenary power, whether it's certified or not, I believe. Yeah, the they state still have a right to take... Yeah, it's going to be up to them no matter what gets... It happens yeah it's up to the state legislator to decide i mean the electors still have to be chosen i believe on the 8th or the 14th and then obviously goes to congress in january now it's interesting that i think the elect I think the um the new congress and everybody gets sworn in on the third but yet you still have the special runoff on the fifth so i'm right. not sure how exactly that's going to work but everybody everybody you hear everybody worried about the calendar He's not president-elect till Congress says he is. That's the only calendar that matters. And I believe that's like January 6th, 7th, something like that. I think it's the 6th. That's the only calendar that matters. And remember what I said to you. Matt Gates has said on Steve Bannon's show, I believe, or maybe it wasn't on Steve Bannon's show, he said somewhere, if I need to stand, you need one congressman and one senator to block certification and he said he's willing to be the uh, congressman and i don't think it'd be too hard to find a senator right. to have the guts to do it either i mean that's just a whole nother mess that i can't even get into i don't even know how that would work but uh just to put a put a bow on the matt brainerd thing so the fbi apparently has reached out to him this is in the washington examiner from paul bedard he says the fbi apparently and finally eyeing voter fraud claims has requested the files 
from the Voter Integrity Project, their investigation for the uh, conservative Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society that has called into question hundreds of thousands of potential problem ballots from the FBI has asked for key files now. The FBI has proactively and directly requested from the VIP Voter Integrity Project findings that indicates uh, illegal ballots, Matt Brainerd tweeted today, adding, by Tuesday we will have delivered uh, to the agency all of our data, including names, addresses, phone numbers. He said of the agency, while there has been legit criticism of the actions of the leaders of the agency over the last several years, I can personally attest to the many patriots within the rank and file who are fighting on the side of the Constitution and law and order. He has tweeted recently that his investigation has uncovered evidence of people voting in multiple states and uh, many of the other things that you just heard him talk about. And Phil Klein, who's on this show, is obviously, uh, he heads up the Amistad Project. And John Solomon, who appears on this show, told us that that was going to be a big deal when they got involved a couple weeks ago. And they filed, I believe, in five or six states, and they've been actively pushing. Um, so, so there's that. So, all right. Uh, do you have any more news, Paul? Yeah, we go over to uh, just the news. Yeah, new poll finds that forty-six uh, percent of registered uh, voters approve of President Trump's performance. So, um, it was uh, twenty-seven strongly approved and nineteen somewhat approved, with ten uh, percent disapproving and forty-one percent strongly disapproving. So he still was forty-six percent approval rate, uh, despite all of the media slander uh, here. So that was interesting for Rasmussen. And um, what was the other one that I wanted to share with you, uh, Big D? It was. Um, Oh, here it was. Okay. Data expert uh, vote tabulation feeds in Georgia and Pennsylvania show anomalies suggesting Trump missing votes. And, um, oh, this is the one I asked. I'm sorry, Big D. This is the one I wanted to clip, but I never, I didn't get an answer from you. Well, what's going on in Georgia right now is. um, There's a clip for that one, right? It's very confusing. You have um, Lynn Wood, who was filed there, who was first. Uh, it was kicked back out of, I guess, the district court. So now it's gone to the, I believe it's going to the 11th Circuit. Obviously, Sidney Powell has filed there as well. Um, and then you had a judge. You have these voter machines that I guess they're deciding whether to wipe them. I don't know if it's to get ready for the, the runoff. You have a judge who basically made an order saying, no, 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 you can't do that until they're inspected. Then he... Then the order came off, and then the order went back on. So what's going on in Georgia is very confusing. Meanwhile, again, you have clear violations of equal protection. You have clear violations of uh, Article 2, changing the playing field. State legislature doesn't doesn't even know that the, um, the governor's has a consent decree with the Democrat Party. Again, playing field totally changed how ballots were going to be cast, when they were going to be accepted, how they're going to, all the stuff that the state legislature is supposed to do. You have uh, equal protection claims there with drop boxes being in the blue parts of the state within two square miles of each other all over the place. And in the red parts, 1,100 square miles. So there's all kinds of stuff in Georgia. But as we said when this started, the biggest pushback, the biggest problem with all this is, is who? The people who put on the black robes. 
What's going on in Pennsylvania, it's just the, the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, is almost like nothing I've ever seen. They don't even have an interest in reading the first. I mean, it's just, just kick it out. I mean, they've it, done it. They've given two or three rulings that are just absolute head scratchers. They don't even seem to want to have any interest in any of the facts. You had this judge in Pennsylvania on Friday night that gave you this courageous ruling and they ran to the Supreme Court as quick as they could and the Supreme Court just said, Psh. in five minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, the fix is in. And it's amazing because I bet you that most of the people in Pennsylvania don't even know anything about their Supreme Court and what it does. But now they're starting to find out that it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty darn corrupt. And now there's a, to further the confusion in Pennsylvania, there's, a, there's an article tonight uh, in the Epoch Times, Epoch, Epoch, uh, Pennsylvania lawmakers formally introduced resolution to dispute the 2020 election results. Republican state lawmakers in Pennsylvania on Monday introduced a resolution to dispute the results of the 2020 election. The text of the resolution, first previewed in a memo on November 27, states that the executive and judicial branches of the Keystone State's government usurped the legislature's constitutional power to set the rules of the election. Quote, officials in the executive and judicial branches of the Commonwealth infringed upon the General Assembly's authority under the Constitution of the United States by unlawfully changing the rules governing the November 3rd election in the Commonwealth. Uh, the resolution calls on the Secretary of the Commonwealth to withdraw the premature certification of the presidential election and delay certifying other races, declares the 2020 election to be in dispute, and urges the U.S. Congress to declare the selection of the presidential electors, electors in the Commonwealth to be in dispute. Members of the Pennsylvania General Assembly said in a statement, quote, a number of compromises of Pennsylvania's election laws took place during the 2020 general election. The documented irregularities and improprieties associated with mail-in balloting, pre-canvassing, and canvassing have undermined our elector process, and as a result, we cannot accept certification of the results in statewide races. They added, we believe this moment is pivotal and important enough that the General Assembly needs to take extraordinary measures to answer these extraordinary questions. We also believe our representative oversight duty as Pennsylvania's legislative branch of government demands us to reassume our constitutional authority and take immediate action. The proposed text uh, lists three steps taken by the judicial and executive branches to change the rules of the election. First, on September 17th, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court unlawfully and unilaterally extended the deadline by which mail-in ballots could be received, mandated that ballots without a postmark would be treated as timely, and allowed for ballots without a, a verified vo voter signature to be accepted, the resolution says. Second, on October 23rd, upon a petition from the Secretary of the Commonwealth, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled the signatures on mail-in ballots need not be authenticated. Uh -huh. And third... On November 2nd, I mean, just think about that. <laughs> ah, whatever, scratched on there. It doesn't matter. This so, is your Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. So you can walk into a bank and just sign somebody else's name and be like, yeah, that's my deposit slip. Uh, I mean, withdrawal. Give I me mean, all the money. Exactly. Yeah. Think about how, they, would they apply? 
do we can we file our taxes like this in Pennsylvania? Well, I'll get it there when I damn well want to get it there, and you'll accept it. Right. How about that? Without my signature, no problem. And yeah, and, it, and I won't sign it. So if there's any problems, you can't come back to me. I mean, it's crazy. And third, on November second, the Secretary of the Commonwealth encouraged certain counties to notify party and candidate representatives of mail-in voters who ballots contain defects. So I told you this: the Secretary of State in Pennsylvania is running around to all the blue parts saying, no, I'll tell them they've got to cure these ballots if there's mistakes. And in the red parts, they didn't do that. Uh, the resolution also lists a variety of election irregularities and potential fraud, including the issues brought up by witnesses during the hearing on November 25th. On November 24th, the Secretary of the Commonwealth unilaterally and prematurely certified the results, it says, of the November 3rd election. The Pennsylvania House of Representatives has a duty to ensure that no citizen of this commonwealth is disenfranchised, to insist that all elections are conducted according to law, and to satisfy the general public that every legal vote is counted accurately. Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano, a Republican, said Friday that the GOP-controlled state legislature will make a bid to reclaim its power to appoint the state electors to the Electoral College, saying they could start the process on November 30th. So we're going to do a resolution between the House and the Senate Hopefully today, he told Steve Bannon's war room on Friday. claim the palmist with the palmist who wrote these following words true international average of pressure And then, oh you follow, and then you follow it up with the Statue of Liberty. I'm just thinking he's perfect for a Liberty Mutual commercial. <laughs> the great Zoltar. Exactly. <laughs> and then he'll, he'll, he'll bust out of the box and ride his unicycle away. Oh, shake your hand. Uh, 13 to the hour, live from Studio 6B. Palmist. Oh, my God. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, 13 to the hour, live from Studio 6B. Um... We were just talking during the break. You think about what's happened in Pennsylvania. I read you the article how this, to, to change or amend anything about how the voting process works, you need the General Assembly, I believe, to meet successive meetings. So they have to meet at least twice. To Then they have to pass whatever they're going to pass. And then the public has to vote on it. None of that happened in this uh, Act 77 or whatever the... 77 act 77 they pass it in the middle of the night the governor runs to sign it i mean it's it's crazy what's going on in pennsylvania and you're hearing that unfortunately there's not a lot of mastrianos it seems like there may be a few i read you the numbers of the of the uh, how the difference in what they hold right i think it's 28 to 21 in the senate with one independent and it's like 213 to 190 or something in the house i mean it's a pretty big and from what i'm hearing there's like 29 so far in the house who have signed on to this 29 and because they're worried about losing the house and the senate in their local races 
next in two years or whenever it is. What's amazing is they wouldn't have probably gotten elected if they were running as a Democrat, which is why they're running as a Republican. So keep that in mind. People, people will remember this. All right, uh, let's do some sports here with uh, Rick Amorati. What's going on, pal? Okay, Big D. Well, we got a good one in Philadelphia at the link tonight. Uh, just hit halftime. It's uh, Seattle 14, Philadelphia 6. Uh, Carson Wentz just hit Dallas Goddard as time expired in the end zone for the touchdown. They missed the extra point. Wentz is only thrown for 30 yards tonight. Uh, conversely, Seattle quarterback Russell Wilson is 13-18 for 152 yards and a TD. So, good so game. Wentz- Wentz is playing about how he plays every game. And so is uh, Russell Wilson. Exactly. (laughs) Playing dynamite. So we'll see what happens there. But 14-6 right now, Seattle up on Philly. Um, And then we have uh, just a couple of quick NFL scores from the weekend. Uh, Buffalo 27-17 over San Diego. Atlanta rolled over Las Vegas 43-6. Tennessee 45, Indianapolis 26. Derrick Henry uh, had 27 carries for Tennessee and 178 yards. Cleveland just nipped Jackson. 27 to 25. Uh, New York Giants, 19 to 17 win over Cincinnati on the road. And if Seattle holds, the Giants will be in sole possession of first place <laughs> by virtue of a head-to-head by Washington default. that they own because they had sucking the least. Yes, that's out of interest. <laughs> this is they still suck debatable. The least. Talk about and, failing upwards. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and in a real good game that developed late yesterday was uh, Kansas City, 27-24 over Tampa Bay. Patrick Mahomes just continues to be a beast with 462 yards passing and three touchdowns. And how about Tyree Kill? 269 yards, 13 catches and three touchdowns. Boy, somebody had a great fantasy uh, yesterday with those two guys. This is, um, I'm going on record now. This will be Tom Brady's last season playing football in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Him and Bruce Arians, it ain't happening. Not happening, Big Dig. Um, It's also him and Mike Evans look like they can't get on the same page. They can't. But he's finding Gronk. They're looking good. Well, Evans, uh, Evans is, does have a lot of touchdowns, though. Yeah, well, there's no doubt that his talent is is so incredible. But, uh, well, it looked like they were trying to work it out on the sideline. I'm not sure I'm really, really uh, ready to say he's going to leave. No, yeah. I think he's got one more in him. And let's just talk about a little golf this weekend. <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys caught the uh, the big match there. Match number three, Charles Barkley and Phil Mickelson taking on Steph Curry and Peyton Manning. That was on Friday afternoon from the Stone Canyon Golf Club in Oro Valley, Arizona. Anybody catch that? I, I watched that. It was really a pretty good match. Charles Barkley found his golf swing thanks to old lefty teaching him how to play. Uh, following a loss at the first hole, Mickelson and Barkley deployed their strategies to perfection, making two straight birdies and ripping off four consecutive holes before Curry and Manning could catch their breath. That's more or less where the score remained for the rest of the match. So, uh, you know, Charles Barkley finally got his championship, so he's got some bragging rights. A lot of, lot of trash talking during that game, but uh, it was good fun. I enjoyed that. Um, and I got just real quick, we're going to keep an eye on the MLS Cup playoffs. Soccer, uh, brought to you by Audi. Uh, Columbus Crew uh, Soccer Club advanced in the Audi 2020 MLS Cup playoffs, bring, uh, bringing Nashville's SC Cinderella run to a heartbreaking end with a 2 nothing victory yesterday. Uh, the victory sends the crew to the Eastern Conference Final Big D, where they'll face off against the New England Revolution, who won their semifinal match against Orlando City 3-1 to earlier yesterday. And, and in other matches, Sporting K. 
KC's home match against Minnesota United uh, in the Cup playoffs has been rescheduled for Thursday and will be uh, televised on Fox. And Football Club Dallas visits number two Seattle tomorrow in the other Western Conference Finals. So two more games and uh, we'll have a championship in the MLS. And that's a wrap in sports for Monday. All right, thanks, Rick. Uh, anything else in news, Paul? Well, uh, Carter Page has uh, filed a $75 million lawsuit against multiple high-ranking DOJ officials, including the uh, DOJ itself, the FBI, uh, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, and several others over what the claims uh, are violations of Page's constitutional rights stemming from surveillance carried out uh, from him years ago. The lawsuit seeks accountability and damages against the individuals and the agencies who reportedly wronged Page via unlawful surveillance and investigation. So, Boy, I'd love to see I'd that like to get see to him discovery, get but I don't think it's going <laughs> to. <laughs> How yeah. much would you love to see discovery in that? Oh, forget it. It'd be so, I just, I don't know. I, I, if this doesn't work out for Trump, I sure hope he opens every book on everything, man. Well, I saw somebody make the plea to him today. Oh, it was uh, Lou Dobbs made the plea to him. That obviously we still hold out hope on all of the the court cases that he has a right to continue to pursue. It's a slim door to fit through. Uh, but uh, he's, Lou Dobbs said, if that slim door closes, could you at least do us all the favor of declassifying everything <laughs> that you possibly could on all of these uh, crooks? I'm summarizing what Mr. Dobbs said. And didn't yeah, quite say like, that, yeah well, that's about how about he says it. What he meant. So. Scott Atlas resigned, you know, his uh, special government employee he had a 130 day detail that expired this week. So, okay. uh, so it expired, it expired, but he put in his resignation letter. So, well, now you're hearing, uh, of course, after the election, Moderna and all these places are now, oh, man, it's this thing we created is uh, about as effective as it can be. We're going to the FDA for authorization. We should get that and we'll have some doses out here. Of course, they're, st- they're still thrown around. 330 million doses, which I just don't, I don't even comprehend how they think they need to do that. I mean, you, you could probably get away with 50 million and um, of the high population, high age people at... Uh, not when it's mandatory. Oh, boy. Nah, I mean... <laughs> You're not going to be able to trade and travel and do COVID anything pass. unless you have your COVID pass. Well, we're already, ste- we're already starting to see some of that. Yeah. What well, was it, Qantas you. you mentioned last Qantas week? Qantas Airlines said, yep. nah, no, no, you're not coming on here without Ticket it. Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster, you're not going to see a Zach Brown without it, or uh, Jimmy Buffett when he comes back next summer. You're not going to be you parrot heads are not getting anything without your uh, shots. There's no chance at gunpoint. I'm not taking that thing. No, no, no. chance. Yeah, no shot. Especially because the uh, nor should you. By the way, yeah, you shouldn't be because if you're under fifty, it's I mean you've got a better chance of uh, getting struck by lightning than getting than dying from COVID nineteen. Yeah. Could you say under sixty? Oh, <laughs> well, whatever. All right, good. <laughs> well, under 55. How about that? You're safe then, right, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the point is, if you listen to Quack Quack, he's all over the place. Yeah. So sick of All right, good to be back on a Monday. Glad you're back. It'll be a busy week working on some good guests. And, um,. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m., right before us, Dr. Gina Loudon, prime time. 
She is primetime. She'll be 7 p.m. tomorrow night, her debut show. Make sure you check it out, Real America's Voice. As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, everybody on the show. Thanks. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to Real America's Voice. Most of all, thanks you. Back with you in 22. See you tomorrow night.